and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Today on the on the show, we're going to talk a little about field scouting. I'm just so excited to get to this topic, I can't help it. I've been out looking at some fields over the weekend, and oh, there's lots to talk about. If you've got any questions about anything that's going on in your fields or anything else happening on your farm, you can give us a call here, 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You could also email us, radio at agphd.com, or send us a note on Twitter, agphdmedia, Darren Hefty or Brian Hefty. All right, so just yesterday, I was out looking at a whole bunch of fields around the country, and here are a couple of things that I noticed. Number one, when you're in a dry situation, nitrogen is going to be more of a yield-limiting factor, potentially, depending on how you're applying that nitrogen. Here's where I'm going with this. So for a lot of us in the western, really central, and let's call it western corn belt, all right, Um, for a lot of us, we like to leave some residue out there. A lot of people are going no-till, strip-till, whatever. Here's the problem. A lot of this residue that's out there is higher carbon, ties up some nitrogen. Even sometimes coming out of soybeans, you can see a little bit of nitrogen tie up. But especially if it's corn or if you had a cover crop or something else, that can be a real big deal. Well, in dry years, your head in geography like ours, where we have real heavy soils and very little rain, your head to put more nitrogen on up front. Otherwise, you're going to run into this tie up issue where the residue is trying to break down. Um, and basically how that happens is bacteria are breaking it down. In the meantime, they need nitrogen. So they're feeding off nitrogen. Your plant isn't getting a lot of moisture, which means it's also not getting the nutrients that go in with moisture like nitrogen. And so we're seeing a lot of yellow corn out there. And I know it's tough because you go, well, are we going to have a wet year or dry year? I mean, you don't know when you plant. So it's hard to know how much nitrogen you should put on up front. I know, I get it. But all I'm getting at here is... You can't farm in the West like you would in the East. And so we just kind of have to play the odds. And I'm not saying everybody has to put all their nitrogen on up front in the West where you have very little rain and heavy soils. But I am saying percentage-wise, we probably need a higher percent of our nitrogen on up front than somebody does where they get consistently 40, 50, 60 inches of rain. And especially if they have light soil where you have heavy soil. So just something for you to think about. So I got I got more observations too, but let's get to the phone lines. We've got Mike with us now over in Minnesota. Mike, how's it going? Oh, it's going really good, Darren. Thanks for having me today. Um, I got a question. I called in uh, this past spring. My wife and myself are building a new home uh, coming up this next year of 2024. Awesome! Congratulations. And, uh, it's I'll be broke when it's done. Um, <laughs> yes. So uh, the, the crop came out uh, on the 22 season of soybeans. Um, we had the property tilled by the, the landowner at the time. And this past spring when I called in, you guys said, gave me a plan and I was going with that roadmap. Um, I, had, I hired a local contractor actually to put the seed in the ground. And I just found out this past week after not no communication from them that it actually has not been planted yet. Oh, shoot. So I put some eyes on it. I got probably six to ten inch weeds. I don't know every weed that's out there. Um, I'm not as well versed as you guys. Um, but I have obviously a weed issue that I want to eradicate and make go away. Um, so I didn't know what my options were. 
Uh, number one, I had thought about using like a Harley rake on the front of the skid motor. Harley raking the whole thing and breaking up that root mass a little bit goes down two, three inches on a, on a front drum. And if that could get me a good seed bed again, and then immediately the same day I'll plant uh, my grass seed, pasture grass into it. Uh, is that an option, or do I have to go a different way to get rid of these weeds? Okay, so if it was mine, what I would probably consider would be spraying Roundup over the whole thing at a real high rate first, give it maybe a couple of days, and then do tillage and then plant. That way, I, I feel like I have a better kill on those weeds. Because what could happen, if you're talking 8-inch tall weeds, they might not die, at least completely, if uh, if you don't get them fully cut off. And even if you do get them cut off, um, they, they some of them could regrow out there. So 8 inches is starting to get pretty big. If it was... Uh, 0.8 inches, I feel super comfortable. 8 inches is just getting pretty good size. So that's where sometimes it can pay doing at least a herbicide application. But the problem with most herbicides is you're going to have residual that could hurt your seed. So Banvel's out, 2,4-D's out. I mean, a lot of these things that have residual, they're just basically out. You, you probably shouldn't be doing them if you're going to put seed out there that could be pretty sensitive to those different herbicides. So you have to do something with no residual, and usually people are going to use Roundup. So can you do what you're talking about? Absolutely. All we're saying is it, you may not kill all those weeds. And so that would be my only concern. I, I mean, if you were doing maybe a little bit more aggressive tillage or something like that, uh, but I mean, if nothing else, you can try it and see how it looks after you've gone over it. And if you go, ooh, wow, it looks like I got a lot of weeds out there, then you unfortunately just have to till it again and then seed. So, Darren, any other suggestions there? No, I think I think you're on the right track there. I, it stinks, and when you said, "I don't even know what all these weeds are," that's what Brian. That's Brian's favorite questions, Mike. He's like, "I like when guys call and say, what weeds do you have?' All of them. <laughs> and then we <laughs> we have some herbicides. Like, yeah, we have some herbicides <laughs> for that, but not in this particular case. So, anyway, go ahead. Okay, and then if we go the the path of spraying Roundup, what would the duration be from when I spray it at the max rate to the point where I do my tillage on it and plant my seed, what is the minimum that you would give? I mean, we're only about 100 miles from you. Yeah. Hot, dry weather. Yep. Um, couple what, of days. What should, minimum couple of days. days. Minimum couple okay. of days. If you want to wait three days, that's fine. But in a couple of days, the the Roundup should have gotten all the way through that plant. Yeah, and they are, the weeds aren't going to look dead at nope. that time. They're still going to look green. But... Uh, that's growing. enough time to let the Roundup get in there and start moving towards those growing points so you're safe to do some tillage. Mike, good luck to you. I look forward to uh, to hearing how successful that is as you get that new house put up there and, and get all your landscaping done and so forth. But in the meantime, good luck getting that seed in the ground. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Growing up on the farm, I woke up as early as mom and dad. I put as many hours on the tractor, changed as many teeth on the tiller as my brothers. It doesn't matter if you're young or old, man or woman. When there's work to be done, you put your boots on and you do it. I do that on my farm and in my job at Case IH. My name is Kelsey, I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. The weeds are coming! The weeds are coming! Hey! Paul Revere! 
This whole midnight ride thing is getting real. But the HPPD resistant weeds are coming. We've got Verdict Herbicide. Verdict Herbicide? Yeah, it's a non-HPPD corn pre-herbicide from BASF. Oh, well then, get some sleep. Yeah, will do. The weeds are coming! Switch to Verdict Herbicide! Always read and follow label directions! At Ag PhD, we're always looking for ways to support the ag industry. That's why at our free Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event, we're giving away more than 100 college scholarships. Plus, we'll head out into the field for hands-on agronomy sessions, including our comprehensive guide to crop scouting. This day may be geared towards younger farmers, but whether you're a college student or just want good agronomy info, this is one event you won't want to miss. Learn more and register for the Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event at agphd.com. At Corteva AgriScience, we want to keep farms healthy and productive, today and tomorrow. That's why we're investing in a robust pipeline of naturally derived biologicals. Meet Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer. It's a sustainable nitrogen fixation product that facilitates crop growth and optimizes yield potential. With the fluctuation in fertilizer prices, Nutrition N is a reliable solution. It can be used alongside your traditional nitrogen program to enhance your ROI this year. For more information, visit Corteva.us. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. It's one of my favorite topics, field scouting. I just can't wait till we get crop up so I can get out there and do a little bit of scouting. Now, it's not so much fun when it's super hot and super humid, or in this case uh, of 2023, the gnats are terrible. They can be really annoying out there some days. But it, it is fun to get out there and see stuff as your crop is growing. You get a great chance here to take care of problems as they pop up and hopefully anticipate some of those problems before they get too bad. Got Mark Store on with us right now from BASF to talk a little bit about scouting. Mark, how are you doing? Good. Yourself? You know, I'm doing well. We caught just a little bit of rain here, and that always gets everybody excited and gets the crop perking up just a little bit. But you know what? It helped the weeds grow a little better, and we're starting to see some bugs out in some of the fields. Man, there's a lot going on. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that's why this is a timely topic, scouting, early season scouting, right? And also leading into later season scouting because we need to be on the lookout for disease. But as you mentioned, there's all types of things that we can uh, encounter in the field. And uh, now we've got some new apps that we can uh, take advantage of that help uh, do some of the math for us or the algorithms or do some predictive modeling. Uh, so it's uh, maybe a little easier than it was uh just a few years ago. Yeah, we got a lot of tools at our disposal, and that's a nice thing. And I know for, for some guys, they're like, man, I got a lot of acres. Great. Get a get a four-wheeler of some sort or a side-by-side that you can make your job a little bit easier. Use a drone. There's there's just so many tools now that we didn't have. I know for sure when Brian and I were growing up, our, our scouting mark was like this. We'd eat supper at night and our dad would say, Hey boys, jump in the truck with me. Uh, we got to go look at a couple fields. And then he'd say, Oh, there's a weed out there. Go get it. And then we wouldn't yeah, see dad right. for a while. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, I, I know what you mean. And uh, the, I, I, I've uh, encountered similar uh, type of experience. When I was, uh, a kid. <clears throat> that was a long time ago, but yeah, it's good to be out there. Uh, uh, right now I think people should be taking note of uh, weed escapes 
uh, a lot of the post-emerge applications or post-emerge herbicide applications have been made, and those need to be evaluated. Hopefully, they got out of them what we wanted, and we've got uh, adequate weed control, but there's a lot of HPPT failures I'm hearing uh, going out uh, with those post products. It seems to be water, hemp, or catching up to that mode of action. And, and, you know, there are other alternatives that people need to employ. We're not going to get into those today, but the important thing is to know that you've got a problem, right? That's, uh, you know, the first thing that you need to acknowledge. And then the other thing, as you mentioned, insects, you know, there will be uh, some of the early season insects are moving into mid-season. Blackheart wormer is pretty much behind us. Uh, Less maybe had some really late planted corn, but we'll be on the lookout for other things. I know cover crops are situations where we've provided an environment that may be attractive to uh, egg laying for certain pests. So that can uh, sneak up on us and well as well. But the big thing I wanted to focus on was, you know, early season scouting for diseases like tar spot. Yeah. You know, when you look at disease, having a planned approach is really the best thing a guy can do. We want to be out in front to prevent a lot of those disease from get, diseases from getting in. And, you know, this year we've got more heat and a lot of growers are saying, man, my crop is growing faster than it normally would. I wouldn't have to worry about certain things quite so soon, but uh, we're hitting all these timings a lot quicker than we normally do. Well, that's it. Uh, growth degree days and a normal planting, I'd say, for a lot of folks this year when it comes to corn, uh, have all led into that uh, possibility of seeing the disease early. It's here now, right? You know, we talk about the disease triangle. You have the host plant, which for us is typically corn or soybeans. You have to have the disease pathogen present, which we know we have those because uh, tar spot, for example, in Iowa has been identified at some point in all 99 counties, and it overwinters. So we know the pathogen is here, and all it takes is a, the proper environment for an infection to occur. And that's what we need to be aware of and realize that when an infection does occur, it's, you know, 10 days to two weeks before we know we have a disease. So the early scouting, starting on those lower leaves, look for symptoms of the disease or signs of the disease at that point in time. Uh, if you want to download the Tar Spotter app, on your cell phone, that's a good University of uh, Wisconsin uh, app that they've developed that may help you with either uh, timing of the scouting or determine whether or not it's been found in your area. I like to to follow the ipmpipe.org disease website, which is a great uh, tool to monitor scouting from a whole bunch of other people uh, so you don't have to do it all on your own to... uh, maybe help determine whether or not tar spot is in your area. Yeah, those are some great tips. And uh, like Mark was saying, we've got apps we can use. We've got websites that we can use. Uh, there, there's a lot of great tools out there where you don't have to do everything on your own and you can hear what's happening in areas around you to give you an indication, wow, it's heading this way. I, I better get out in front of it. Uh, again, we're talking with Mark Storr here with BASF. Mark, thank you so much. We really appreciate having you on. And by the way, uh, if you want to go for a pickup ride after supper, uh, I might just drop you off in a field somewhere. Just for old <laughs> yeah, time's Darren. sake. <laughs> Sounds right. great, Darren. Thanks, you Mark. have a great one. You too. Yep. Bye. See you, bye. Uh, got Ben Carlisle with us right now with Case IH. Uh, how you doing, Ben? Doing well. How are you? Well, quite good. And and Mark 
kind of probably led us right into what we we're going to talk about here because he talked about all these new tools that we have and new ways that, that we can keep track of things and, and get some help doing our field scouting. How about with Case IH? I know with new equipment comes a lot of new features and, and things that guys get to use. Right. You know, there are a lot of tools out there um, that customers can utilize to track crop progression. I mean, we just just heard that there, and, and I know that there's there's several more. Um, you know, when we think about AFS Connect, right, it's, it's that spot that you can gather all that information in the one spot. So on the scouting or on our app, we do have a scouting function, and, you know, it's easy to use. Um, create an account, log in, and, and as you walk through the field, you can take pictures and document exactly, you know, what's going on, and, and it's great for reference later in the year. Yeah, it sure is. And the other thing is when you've got multiple folks working in the same operation, and we run into this sometimes too where I'll notice something in the field or Brian will notice something in the field and they'll say, hey, did you look on this field? Well, where exactly did you find it? Kind of nice to be able to pinpoint where those things are at. Oh, absolutely. Be able to, to geo-reference that and then, you know, to your point, right, there's a lot of people walking through the field being able to shoot that that report over to you know maybe your consultant or your advisor whoever that may be and share that information right I mean it's when it, when I look at it compared to when I was young to today um, farming has has gotten a lot more complicated right and and your hybrids and varieties are so specific on what they need uh, being able to bring in those other resources to help you make those decisions man that's that's invaluable. You know, one thing that we were just talking about on our farm today, we, we had some manure application done and where they did some the manure application, they were trying to get deep and we didn't dial it in just right when we came back with a finishing pass to kind of clean things up. And so there's, there's an unevenness to the tillage floor. And you see that this time of year and you think, oh man, well, next fall, we'll remind the guys to do things a little bit different. It's kind of nice when you get a tool like this, uh, you're going to see those things pop up as you're doing everything every operation through the field yeah you know you're you're exactly right um and and your example is is spot on and i think it happens more times than not um you know on on different acres uh when you see that variability and and you know you're documenting it while you're while you're scouting and whatever but then having the ability to go back and look at that data layer that says oh yeah that's right you know, we recorded our tillage, we recorded putting that manure down, we know our depth, and then being able to reference that and understand exactly what's going on all from one spot, hey, that's that's great. Well, uh, we're talking about AFS Connect with Case IH here, and we've got Ben Carlisle on to talk about that. You've heard us talk about AFS Connect on a number of different shows uh, with different features you can do, but scouting is another one where you can keep all your notes in one place, communicate with agronomists, communicate with other people on your farm. Uh, it's pretty simple and easy to use as well. Hey, Ben, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Yep, thank you. We'll talk more about field scouting right after this. Morton Buildings has served the American farmer for more than 120 years. From manufacturing our own building components to constructing your building, Morton takes pride in being the industry leader in post-frame construction by providing a quality building and exceptional customer service. A Morton is built to last for generations. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. 
Win the war against weeds in your soybean fields with fierce herbicides from Valent USA. With three different formulations and multiple modes of action, you're sure to find the right fierce product to protect your operation from tough weeds like Palmer Amaranth and Waterhemp. Give your soybeans a strong, clean start with up to eight weeks of residual control with the powerful pre-emergence protection of Fierce Herbicide. Ask your local retailer or visit valent.com fierce to find the right fierce formulation for you. Always read and follow label instructions. Learn on the job with the CNB Apprenticeship Program. Through in-person training and on-the-job experience, this unique opportunity gives you the chance to learn advanced ag diesel technology without the traditional technical school format or expense. Learn more at cbequipment.com careers. From machine storage buildings and farm shops to dependable buildings to house your livestock, regardless of building size or use, Morton has a building for every budget. To learn how we can help you expand your farm operation, visit mortonbuildings.com. You won't want to miss this year's Ag PhD Field Day with guided tours of our extensive research plots, world premieres of the latest ag technologies, the highest yielding farmers on the planet, and more equipment running than ever before. The Ag PhD Field Day just keeps getting bigger and better. We'll also have great family entertainment, including a kids area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and food and drink available all throughout the day. But the best part is everything's free. Go to agphd.com to learn more for the Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 27th. Nothing but net. Win your soybean season with the fast knockdown and lasting broad spectrum control of Elevest Insect Control from FMC. Take on army worms, stink bugs, soybean loopers, and more with the maximized ratio of premier active ingredients for better overall control of more than 40 labeled pests. Visit your FMC retailer or elevest.ag.fmc.com to up your game this season. Always read and follow all label directions. When it comes to serial disease protection, Prosaro Pro 400 SC fungicide from Bayer makes all the difference. With three effective active ingredients for overlapping control of foliar and head diseases and a flexible application window for head scab, it's formulated to lower dawn, protect yield potential, and promote superior grain quality. Prosaro Pro, the future of plant health starts here. Visit prosaropro.com to learn more. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, talking field scouting on today's program and taking your calls and questions too at 844-44-AG-PHD. You can also email us radio at agphd.com. Let's head down to Georgia. Got our friend Caleb on with us right now. How are you doing, Caleb? I'm doing good, Darren. How are you? Well, pretty good. I know you do a lot of field scouting. What would you say if if uh, I was a new farmer and I was going to be tasked with this job of field scouting, what are some of the tools you'd say, okay, I absolutely have to have this if I'm going to go out and do field scouting and do it well? Well, I would say first off, I would bring a shovel with me because it's really helpful to know what's going on beneath the ground as well as above ground. But then in addition to that, tools like uh, magnifying glasses, sweet nets, and my favorite in Georgia is a wide-brimmed hat to protect you from the elements. <laughs> yes, because you want to be out there for a while, that's for sure. Yep, yep. And I was uh, just looking at some corn last week, and in fact, last Friday, 
I was able to find the first confirmed case of southern corn rust in the United States. So that's not something that I particularly want to be known for, but it's interesting to see in this area how the season is progressing and uh, how that can change our decisions on applications that we make as we go through the year. Yeah, I saw the pictures that were getting posted uh, about that corn rust from southwest Georgia. And, yeah, that's that's not good. But by the same token, to give everyone a heads up that, wow, if you were holding off on your fungicide treatment, you better get it out there. And then to be able to compare fungicides, like that particular field, had that had any fungicide applications yet? No, that had not because it was planted in late April, and right now it's uh, R5 growth stage, so it's just got a couple more, a few more weeks yet, and it will be mature. So we were hoping that it would keep it on the early side of diseases that have progressed through. But like one of the previous callers had mentioned, we have a latency period with some of these diseases, so we know that corn just a little bit away, even if we aren't seeing visual symptoms on the plants, we need to make sure that we have uh, fungicides down. So it really helps growers who, if they've got corn that's entering the, t the tassel uh, stage and they may not automatically make a fungicide application, how it's something that they can take a look at. And then also situations where we have corn that we have applied a fungicide at, at tassel time, but now we're starting to get two or three weeks beyond that it gives us an opportunity to maybe go in there with another application so we can make sure to keep our plants healthy and disease-free all the way to maturity. All right, corn is one crop, but another one we don't talk enough about on the show is peanuts. What are the peanuts looking like right now? Where are you at in the scouting, and, and what are you looking for there? So peanuts are still in the early season in this area. Uh, we've actually had a real uh, cool beginning of the year and early summer so the crops haven't progressed as quickly in terms of the peanuts and cotton but right now with peanuts we're making sure that we have good stands that we haven't lost anything to seedling diseases we're making sure that we have our fields clean because it won't be just a couple more weeks from now and we want to have our herbicide applications done so if we need to go in there and hit a few spots that we have some escaped weeds it's a good opportunity to do that and also uh, make sure that we accurately stage the crop so we know when to make our fungicide applications on time. I know you do a lot of scouting for others, Caleb, but it's not just you laying eyes on these fields. As you're working with growers, how often do you think a grower should have eyes on each field? Whether it's you doing it or a consultant doing it or, or the grower doing it himself. For most row crops, we try to make sure that we have eyes on the field once a week. Uh, we do have some specialty crops in this area, uh, some produce and watermelons and such that do need to be scouted more intensively, but at least once a week to look at the field and not just look at the first few rows in there, maybe while we're going to cut irrigation on or something, but uh, like now, I'm able to use drones so we can see not just those first few rows, but actually the entire field to where we can have a good picture of what's going on. Yeah, there's so much to see. I know early in the season you were talking a lot about planting depth and, and some of the variability that you saw in some of these fields. How have some of those early season problems played out this year? Is the crop looking good? Did you get favorable weather that it kind of covered up some of those things or, or are some of the problems from early in the season rearing their head now? 
for the most part, we've had very favorable weather this year. I know you guys have said uh, rain fixes a lot of our mistakes, and that's something that's been the case for us, uh, especially for corn. We've had one of the best growing seasons so far in the last couple years. So some of those mistakes have been covered over to some extent, but we don't get beyond some of this variability, how we may even go in a cornfield and we see ears at different nodes as we look from one plant to the other. So there are a few things that, that do stick out that maybe opportunities that we've missed that we can't go back, something that where we have set our, our yield cap early in the season. Yeah, there's so much to see, and, and you get to look at so many different crops in the area that, that you cover. We're talking with Caleb Trow here. He works with the Extreme Ag Group. He does uh, a lot of consulting with farmers uh, all over in the, the southeastern part of the U.S. Caleb, thank you so much. Really appreciate uh, talking to you today. I love seeing what you post on online you're generally a ways ahead of us. We've got corn that's knee-high or a little better, and you're talking about R5 here, so we got a ways to go to catch up. You can come help us with harvest here in the next couple of weeks. How about that? That sounds like that'd be a, a nice, cool job. I, I I would definitely have to take your advice about bringing that wide-brim hat if I did that. <laughs> there you go. Yep. Well, thanks, Caleb. Thanks for having me on. You bet. All right, so one of the things I was going to get to today, too, is as I've been looking at a lot of fields, there are many soybean fields that don't have or didn't get a pre-emerge herbicide on, which is really unfortunate because here's what's happening now. So just as an example, I had a few agronomists I was talking to the other day, and they go, okay, we're thinking about going Liberty plus Enlist One. And I said, why? <laughs> what What are you after here? And they go, well, we don't have a pre-on. We want to make sure everything's dead. And I said, well, you're not going to kill everything. I, I said, here's your problem. I see some of your fields, and this is what they look like. It's solid weeds in certain areas in the field and if i look below the canopy of weeds not canopy of crop canopy of weeds there are more weeds down below that and there are others that are going to be coming up in just a few days i said liberty has no residual unless one only has a, a few days worth of residual so are you going to kill the stuff that's below the canopy that you don't get coverage on no way are you going to kill the stuff that's going to emerge five days from now I seriously doubt it. So I said, here's what I would do if, if I was you guys. I said, I'd be talking to farmers about splitting this up. Now, I don't necessarily care which thing you go with first, Liberty first or Enlist One first. I, I said, personally, I kind of like doing the Liberty first just because Liberty needs more coverage and you got at least a better chance of getting coverage when stuff is small and especially when the beans have less canopy. When you get just a little bit later and the beans are bigger, it's harder to get your spray down below that soybean canopy. So I said I'd probably do the Liberty first, then I'd probably come back with the Enlist one later. But anyway, I, I, I would split that up because I said, here's what's going to happen. Your farmers are going to go, okay, well, I've killed everything. And then they look like literally two days later and they go, well, wait a second, there are a few of these tiny little weeds. It doesn't look like they died. And then a week later and they go, whoa, I definitely have some stuff coming out here. I'm going to have to spray again. And they already spent their money. They already spent the money on the Liberty and the Enlist one. Can they do both again later? Sure they can. But what does that cost? So next year when Liberty's cheap, and I don't think Enlist One will come down in price, but Liberty's going to come way down in price, in my opinion. We'll see. But 
I mean, if it would be whole different if I was spending ten or fifteen dollars an acre, but when I'm spending thirty dollars an acre or more, no way. Guys aren't going to do that twice. So anyway, I just said I would split that up. But here's the reason why I'm bringing this up to you today. Pre-emerge herbicides are unbelievably important in soybeans and all crops because you're going to thin out your weed pressure and then hopefully you only have to spray one time post, maybe twice. But I mean, it's really, really difficult to get great coverage when you have such a thick stand of weeds that there are weeds below weeds below weeds. We'll talk more about crop scouting right after this. This season, get medieval on Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia fungicide from Valent USA. Here to shield your sugar beets from the treachery of Rhizoctonia, Excalia delivers excellent staying power, keeping your sugar beets from being conquered. Stay one step ahead of Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia. Ask your retailer or visit valent.com Excalia to learn more. Always read and follow legal instructions. The success of next year's harvest begins with this year's harvest. Hi, Greg Souter from 360 Yield Center. 360 Chain Roll is a simple replacement stock roll for your corn head. Chain Roll doubles the rate of stock breakdown. It crimps and cuts tough stalks to boost microbial activity and speed breakdown. And compared to chopping heads, it reduces emergence issues in next spring's crop. See 360 Chain Roll in action at 360yieldcenter.com. The hard-working independent spirit of rural America can often be isolating. It's not often discussed, but mental health issues are real. Now's the time to lead by example, talk openly, and show that a strong mind is just as important as a strong body. FMC is proud to be working toward ending the misconceptions around mental health. Through awareness, guidance, and action, together we can uproot the stigma. At Ag PhD, we're always looking for ways to support the ag industry. That's why at our free Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event, we're giving away more than 100 college scholarships. Plus, we'll head out into the field for hands-on agronomy sessions, including our comprehensive guide to crop scouting. This day may be geared towards younger farmers, but whether you're a college student or just want good agronomy info, this is one event you won't want to miss. Learn more and register for the Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event at agphd.com. Good morning and hallelujah! Watch it. My spray and pray days are over! What's with Randy? Oh, he's just amped. <laughs> we feel heaven Amped? Yeah, he ordered that new Battalion Amped herbicide from UPL. They're calling it the new gold standard. This is the greatest day in herbicidal history! So, how can I... Get amped? Just go to battalionamped.com. It's gonna be a good year! Always read and follow label directions. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutricia and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio today talking about field scouting. 
Before we leave this topic, I want to talk to you a little about weeds, insects, diseases, spider mites, drainage, and fertility. And you might say, whoa, that's a lot of stuff you're going to cover. It's a special three-hour Ag PhD radio episode. (laughs) I'm just going to give you one thing that I've seen lately that I, I want you to be paying attention to out in your fields. Let's start with the fertility side. Let's just say, for example, I've got 250 bushel corn. Do you know how much potassium that 250 bushel corn needs? I'm sure you know nitrogen. You might say 250 pounds, but actually a 250 bushel corn crop needs 280 total pounds of nitrogen. Now, when I say that, that does not necessarily mean you have to apply 280 pounds. I'm just saying it pulls 280 pounds out of the soil at some point during its life. But potassium, 338 pounds for 250 bushel corn. That is dramatically more than the amount of nitrogen it needs even. How does potassium get into the plant? It's with water. If you looked at the drought map when it came out last week, across the United States anyway, it showed dry in a lot of the corn growing areas. So what does that mean? Does that mean more potassium is going to get into your plant or less? Okay, here's where I'm going with this. We talk so much about base saturation potassium in addition to parts per million. But you want to have your potassium in ratio with the other nutrients in the soil so it has a chance to get in. And then besides that, I just want you to think about this a little bit. And I know that you don't want to spend lots of money on your farm. Believe me, I get it. We farm too. Our grandparents lived through the Depression era. Our dad barely made it through the 1980s on the farm. So we fully understand spending money versus investing in things that are going to pay off in the long run. I just want to tell you this. On potassium, if you've got heavy soil, the odds are extremely slim it's going to leach. It's probably going to be there for years and years and years and years and years, especially in areas like ours where we have heavy soil and really dry weather. So what I'm trying to tell you is, If you have your potassium level a little higher than, let's say, somebody who has light soils, worried about leaching, that kind of thing, you've got a better chance to get that potassium into the crop when the weather's dry. So we can all blame Mother Nature and say, well, if I just would have had more rain, I would have had more yield. Well, of course everybody would. But we got to figure out a way to work together with nature and just understand if you're in a dry area like we are, I mean, seven years out of ten, We're going to suffer from potassium deficiency if we don't put more K out there than somebody in, let's just say, for example, Illinois would necessarily need to get the same yield. Now, that doesn't mean you have to spend more every single year. It just means you have to spend more one time. Get the potassium level built up and then just maintain it. And once you maintain it, you're fine. And if you want to do like our dad did... (laughs) He got to within about three years of retirement, and he said, you know what? I think I'm going to mine all that stuff back out. It does not take long when, like in my example there, you're pulling out 338 pounds. Uh, it doesn't take long to mine the stuff back out. So if you try this and you go, oh, I don't know if it's really worth it or not, just mine it back out. A couple, three years, and you got all your K back out of that soil again. So anyway, that's the big thing I'll tell you on fertility. Uh, drainage. Yes, I just said dry year. But this is the time of year where you can go through your fields and you're, you're most likely going to identify some areas that don't look as good as others. Could there be a drainage problem? Try to figure it out. Now, I'm not saying you have to fix it today, 
Usually, like on our farm, our in-crop tiling, we quit when the crop is bigger than a foot tall. Well, all our crop is bigger than a foot tall right now. Corn, soybeans, oats, alfalfa, everything. So we're not doing any tiling this summer. Okay. But you can certainly tile in this fall if you decide, ooh, you know what? I got to get this area taken care of. Get all the other stuff done, any approvals you need to have done or any of that kind of stuff, and then get that drainage addressed. All right, spider mites. In a dry year, you are more likely to have spider mite issues because in wet years, mites are more, much more likely to get a fungal pathogen. There's a fungus that will kill them, which is great. So I like it when we have adequate moisture, plenty of humidity, and usually spider mites are taken care of, at least in our region of the country. So if you are in an arid climate, you're dealing with spider mites on a pretty regular basis and things like dimethoate or bifenthrin that I can use to probably clean up those mite issues, you maybe can't. You maybe have to go with a true miticide, something like Oberon or Zeal or whatever. But anyway, I, I would just caution you, if you are in an area that doesn't usually have spider mites, if you're getting a drought, a dry period this summer, um, it's possible mites could show up. And here's the other reason why I want you to think about this, because most likely on your farm, you will have to spray for bugs in some crop sometime this year. Okay, if you're worried about spider mites, there are insecticides out there, but then there are also miticides. There are only a couple of products that we talk about that are a combination, insecticide and miticide, and that's why I brought up dimethoate and bifenthrin. So you, your choice is either you could go with, let's say you were using some cheap pyrethroid for 2 or $3 an acre. If you're worried about mites, you could always throw miticide in with that. But here's the reason why I get worried about just spraying a straight pyrethroid or, or just a straight insecticide period is you can get mite flare-ups if you kill off the beneficials that will eat spider mites. So a lot of years, no big deal in our region of the country. But this year, I am a little concerned about it. We'll see. Maybe we'll start getting rain on a regular basis and I won't be concerned about spider mites anymore. Um, insects along those same lines... I would just say this. I'm more worried about the damage insects do in a dry year than a wet year. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm concerned in a wet year, too. You got to scout, and our topic today is field scouting. Insects are one of the best things that you can be scouting for out there because what you're always looking for is an economic threshold. Just understand that the economics may be cheap. They may be or I should say the cost may be cheap, the cost may be really high, and that changes your economics. If commodity prices go up, that changes the economics than if they go down. If your crop, um, you think, oh boy, I could, have, I could suffer a lot of damage with these bugs out there, that's a lot different than if it's, oh, it's very late in the season, and you know what, I don't think these bugs are going to hurt me a lot. So you've got to look at those economic factors, and it can vary a lot. So I will just tell you, like on our farm, when I'm out scouting for bugs, I'm typically finding not just one harmful insect out there. I'm usually finding four or six. And then it's just a question of, okay, do I have enough if I kind of add all of them together to justify the treatment? And here's the other big factor. If I'm already out spraying something else, I'm spraying a herbicide or foliar fertilizer or fungicide, and I could throw the insecticide in. Well, now that totally changes the economics because I don't have to call in a plane. I don't have to go make an extra trip. It's literally just 
the cost of the insecticide versus not. There's no lores ban anymore, so that's off the table. But if you want to stay in that same chemical family, there is dimethoate. Uh, otherwise, there are a lot of good insecticides out there. Okay, last couple of things, weeds and diseases. We'll start with diseases. I just say make sure you're spraying before you see disease. And this is the toughest one. So when we're talking about field scouting, if you're out there scouting and you see a whole bunch of disease in your crop, you are already too late. There's a lot of yield damage that's already been done. And it's it's a shame because now you can go out there, spray the the fungicide, you may stop the disease at that point, but you've already lost a bunch of yield. So I just, I, well, I'm a fan of scouting for literally all these other things. Disease, it's really tough. I'm more than anything going to pay attention to what's going on in my area, what's going on just south of me, because a lot of these diseases blow up from the south. And what do I have for history? How much do I have to lose? Like last year, Oh, I was all about fungicide when I thought, man, we've got a really good corn crop coming, and this is this may be the best price we've ever sold corn for. I just said I got too much to lose to risk it. And then finally, weeds. Always be scouting for weeds. There are a lot of herbicides out there, but in some cases, like corn, for example, if it gets real late in the season, you're not going to impact yield anymore. So it's just a question, do you want to spend the money to prevent these things from going to seed or not? Sometimes I just say no. So anyway... Lots to talk about when it comes to field scouting, but right after this, we're going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag. Stay tuned. When we told growers that New Bear Premium Trifold Herbicide for corn delivers visibly clean fields for up to eight weeks, they were a bit skeptical. Um, we'll see how it works. So we decided to prove it. We set up cameras in multiple cornfields, treated them with Trifold, and filmed for 24 hours a day. For eight weeks, we saw a variety of weather conditions, and Trivolt worked. See for yourself at trivoltinaction.com. Trivolt is a restricted-use pesticide. Consult your state pesticide regulator for specific restrictions. Read and follow pesticide label directions. Get uniform control in your fields with trusted, hard-working Lucento fungicide. Control the toughest diseases with a dual-mode-of-action fungicide that consistently outperforms the competition and field trials. Lucento fungicide from FMC works overtime for lasting control to help improve crop yields. Talk about getting the job done. Visit your FMC retailer or lucento.ag.fmc.com for hardworking control in your fields. Always read and follow all legal directions. You won't want to miss this year's Ag PhD Field Day. I'm Darren Hefty. Each summer on the last Thursday in July, we open up our farm to you so you can learn more ways to improve your farm and the Ag PhD Field Day just keeps getting bigger and better. This year, we're featuring guided tours of our extensive research plots, world premieres of the latest ag technologies, numerous panels of the highest yielding farmers on the planet, and more equipment running in our demo area than we've ever had before. We'll also have great family entertainment, including a kids area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and food and drinks available all throughout the day. But the best part is everything is free. We know that you're busy and your time is valuable. That's why we do everything we can to make sure the Ag PhD Field Day is a very worthwhile investment of your time. So please, go to agphd.com to learn more and be sure to register to join us at this year's Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 27th. 
Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Did you know 20% of stored corn is overventilated by three points of moisture? On 100,000 bushels, that's a whole semi-load. Stop this problem for as little as $2,100 per bin with the end zone for corn from FarmShop MFG. Learn more at FarmShopMFG.com. You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients. AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Hey, everybody. Come on in. The Ag PhD Mailbag is about to begin. Listening to Ag PhD Radio. If you have a question for us, if you'd like to talk about something going on in your farm, phone lines are open at 844 44 Ag PhD. Or if you want to send an email, it's radio at agphd.com. It's exactly what Lynn did. Uh, Lynn said, Guys, I'm sending you a soil sample here. Uh, I pulled this three weeks after applying 130 pounds of nitrogen. I'm wondering, could the extreme drought be the reason only 70 pounds shows up? Could it be tied up in the no-till residue out there? I did get a half an inch of rain on the field eight hours after I put the nitrogen out there. The other thing that's confusing to me, I have a 5.1 pH in this sample. I soil sample every other year. My fields have consistently tested 6.1 to 6.4. Could drought skew it a whole point like this? It's usually not a whole point. But half a point, yeah, that's possible. Here's the other thing. Did you, in the past, have you sampled this exact spot? What we find in a lot of cases is people will do, well, just like we did, big grids, big zones. We used to do zones that were 10, 20 acres. Uh, we were doing grids of five acres then for a while. Now we're down to one acre grids. Even there, we're not testing every spot in one acre. We're testing one spot in an acre. An acre is the size of a football field. Is it possible that in a whole football field you'll see variance? Of course you will. So it's possible that this 5-1 is real. Now, it's probably skewed a little bit because of drought. So maybe it's really 5-3, 5-5, something like that. But I'm, I'm, I guess as a general statement, we want to try to keep things relatively close. So if you've always tested 6-1, 6-4, am I that worried about it? No. Plus, you're in season now and not in the fall. So sometimes things can go just a little bit lower right in the middle of the season, especially after you've put some nitrogen on. But why are you down to 70 pounds? Um, yeah, there's probably some tie-up. There's probably a little bit that went down in the ground uh, below the 6 inches, things like that. So, I, I mean, that that's what I would take a look at. When we do pre-sidrous nitrate tests, this is why we sample 0 to 12, and a lot of times we'll also sample 12 to 24. We want to find out what's in that whole profile that hopefully your roots are in. The other thing, when I look at your soil tests, there are a lot of other issues here that if it was me, I would be addressing. So in addition to that soil pH thing, 
so your potassium is only 2.6 base saturation K. Um, that's too low. Phosphorus, your, your P1 phosphorus is only 11 parts per million, and that's too low. Your sulfur is at 9 parts per million. That's too low. And then with your, your zinc, I, I mean, in ratio, it's actually fine right now compared to where your phosphorus is. But if you're going to bump your phosphorus, you need to bump your zinc. You're only 1.4 parts per million on zinc. And then your boron's at 0.3. So I, I'm just trying to say there are a lot of things here that over time I would be trying to address. Um, we've had fields just like this too, and we've had situations before where we put out a bunch of nitrogen, doesn't all show up. So I, I don't know exactly what caused you to test, but my guess is it's the, the same thing I was talking about earlier in the show where we've seen a lot of yellow corn this year because there just isn't a lot of moisture. The nitrogen isn't going into the plant. There's a bunch getting tied up. So in, and you know, when you have heavy soil like this, that's 24 and a half cation exchange capacity. If it's me, I'm going to put on more, a higher percentage than some guys that have lots of rain are going to put on of my nitrogen. So in other words, rather than putting half my nitrogen on up front, I'm probably putting 75, 80% on up front. It's, I, I, and work with your agronomist on that. It's just something for you to be thinking about. But when we talk about 24 and a half cation exchange capacity, usually we'll say, you know, you multiply that times 10, that means your soil could hold roughly 245 pounds and you applied 130. And it doesn't look like there was much to begin with. I don't know if you have a soil test in advance and what there was to start with, but obviously if there's only 70 pounds there now, there, there couldn't have been a whole lot in the beginning. But yeah, I, I think those are just some of the things that are going on. Last thing I should say, too, when I said your sulfur is low, sulfur is a big key to nitrogen efficiency in the plant. So if you can keep your sulfur up higher than that, at least 20, if not 40 parts per million, then you're going to see better efficiency of that nitrogen in the plant. Anyway, if you got more questions about your soil test, let us know. All right. Uh, kind of answered this question earlier in the show today, but Michael sent one in. How long do I have to wait after spraying a Roundup 2,4-D mixture to plant vegetables? Now, with the Roundup, Michael, that would be an easy answer. <laughs> there there just isn't really a problem. You can spray Roundup out there plant and plant vegetables, vegetables right away. Yep. But 2,4-D in the mix, that changes things quite a bit. And it's it's a good question. How long is 2,4-D going to stick 240? around? How much 2,4-D? Yeah, he doesn't say a, okay. a, what, I guess my question, why do you need the 240? You, do you have Roundup resistant weeds? If so, then I understand that you need a second mode of action in there. But but maybe go with AIM or something that doesn't have soil residuals. So yeah, with the 2,4-D and you want to plant vegetables, I'm going to wait at least two weeks and maybe more. So, but you have to follow the label because there are going to be some where it's probably going to tell you even longer than that. The other thing that will help this is if you water it in. So the more water you get on it, the more that's going to break down, disperse. So, so you spray everything. it and then wait for the rain fast interval at least. So yes. probably at least four hours, just, maybe yeah, the next day. Right. Just wait till the next day and then start watering it. And then hopefully that 2,4-D is going to get used up. Uh, but yeah, that that's a, that's a tough deal. So let us know what you're trying to kill. And then maybe we can give you some better options in the future so you don't have to use the 2,4-D because, yeah, that's going to mean you can't plant vegetables for quite a while. 
All right. Uh, get some soil samples that came in. This is from Ethan, and he said, guys, we have no-till dryland clay soils near Amarillo, Texas. We're raising wheat, cotton, sunflowers, milo, and millet. We've gotten a lot of rain lately, and I've just been disappointed in the water infiltration rates in my land. Would gypsum solve some of my infiltration issues? If so, uh, what would you do there? Or what other fertility recommendations can you help me out with? Okay, it's 20 cation exchange capacity. Part of the issue here is 1.4 to 2.3% organic matter. So I get it. Not a lot of organic matter out there. A lot of people hear gypsum and they go, oh, that's going to help my water infiltration. Uh, let me give you one example. You got one field here that's 82% calcium, 13% magnesium, 4.4% potassium. Um, that's an almost perfect ratio. So, uh, and by the way, his soil pHs are 6.2 to 7.1. In that spot, it's 7.1. Now, sulfur, I get that you could use some more sulfur. You've got single-digit parts per million. Um, you're also less than one on zinc in most areas, um, around one on copper, less than one on boron, less than one on mang or less than 10 on manganese. I mean, there are, there are some other things that I would consider adding out there. You're in pretty good shape, like on potassium and your calcium levels are, are pretty high. So yeah, you got one spot that's only 60% calcium and 22% magnesium in that spot. Could it help to put on some gypsum? Yeah, it probably could. You'd get better water infiltration there. So these other areas, I don't know. I, I don't think that I would do it. I really wouldn't because you're you're going to drive your calcium up. And I, I mean, there's, there's a limit to it. So you got a few spots that you, you could consider it where you're uh, 19, 20, 21% magnesium and your calcium is a little bit lower. You could try it there. Absolutely don't do it in that spot. That's already 82% calcium. Throwing gypsum out there is only going to hurt you in that spot. The other spots you could do a little bit, but not all that much. Beyond that, I, I mean, it's trying to increase organic matter, reducing tillage. Um, but you know, maybe there is some compaction you have to bust up first before you try reducing tillage. Um, cover crops, things like that could help. So, yeah, it's I, I, I feel for you because you want good water infiltration for sure. All right. Had this question came in from AU who said, guys, asking a question about your scouting and scholarships event that's coming up later this month. I'm curious, can international candidates get registered for the above mentioned event? Yes. And what will be covered there? Do you have to be in person? Yes, you have to be in person. Now, I think we'll make it available to like our Ag PhD Insider Magazine subscribers, uh, at least a little part of the day. Well, no, I don't think we will because we're going to be out in the it's field. Gonna be, it's going to be problem. too hard for us yeah. tracking that. Yeah. That's right. I don't think we can. So anyway, no, you'd have to be in person. But yeah, I don't care if you're international, if you want to come to that um, and potentially win a scholarship. Yeah, I, think if you're one, I think one of our winners last year was. School. Actually, oh, yeah. I think one of our winners last sure. year was from uh, another country, happened to be attending uh, a university here. And But even if you don't get a scholarship, then you're still going to learn a bunch about crops and scouting. So it'll be a lot of fun that day. Scouting and scholarships, just go to agphd.com to learn more. Thanks for listening to today's program. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.